Thank you, guys. I was uh, sharing um, earlier when I, when I got here this morning, I said I never thought I'd probably see myself uh, up here. And if you knew me growing up or you, uh, um, or you knew me even in this church, you probably never thought you'd see me up here either. Uh, but here I am, and I'm so thankful that God has uh, given me the opportunity to be up here. But I'm up here because of what God has done in my life. And so I'm so thankful uh, to be here this morning. Um, like you just heard, I'm in a city uh, in Salt Lake, a suburb of Salt Lake City. It's a place of now 60,000 people in, in our specific city, uh, less than 1% Christian. Uh, and uh, until just recently, we were the only evangelical church of any denomination in this entire city. Uh, and so that place does exist uh, in America. And um, it's a place that is desperate for good news when my wife and I were praying about if, we should, if God was leading us out to Salt Lake, we believed he was. We went in on a weekend trip and we met a couple. And um, at the church, we're cleaning up and the lady comes up to me. <clears throat> She's in her mid-40s and she says, hey, are you guys visiting the city? It's actually, or I mean, are you, new to the, are you new to the area? And I said, actually, we're visiting the city. We're praying about possibly uh, starting a church here in the city uh, or in the city next to it. <clears throat> And uh, she then began to weep and said, please come out. Please come out. For 40 plus years, my husband and I, they grew up in the LDS church. I probably should have mentioned that. It's predominantly LDS, Mormon church. Uh, it's a, a uh, it sounds very much like Christianity, but it only sounds like it when you get to the roots. Unfortunately, it's very different uh, from the gospel and the good news. It's a, it's a religion of, of works and, and doing these things. So anyways, they'd grown up in this religion and she then began to weep and said, please come out. For 40 plus years, my husband and I have been without any hope. We need hope and we need people to come and share and tell us. And she's crying. I start to cry. I pull my wife in so she can cry with us, right? Um, and... Uh, God just then used that and some other things to stir our hearts. These people who majority of 3 million people are born, live, and die never hearing the gospel message. Um, and it is a joy to be there. At the same time, it can feel very uh, lonely and desperate, but there is hope. And we just heard that a minute ago. There is hope. And, and so God is raising up a group of people, uh, not just in our church, but across the valley with other um, men and women moving in to be a light in that city. And so God is doing a lot of really uh, exciting things. Maybe I could just share a couple things with you uh, this morning. Uh, just in God's doing a lot of exciting things in our own church, and we just in this past month, um, it, this isn't a typical month, but we got to celebrate three baptisms in this past month. We got to celebrate uh, 13 more people saying, hey, you know what, we want to step up and serve. Uh, we had uh, nine new uh, families decide, hey, we want to be a part of this church and join it. So God's just doing a lot of exciting things, but honestly, it's not just numbers. These are people, uh, and I wish that I could transport all of us into my living room, and you could just hear the stories of men and women like uh, Emily and Brandon. Emily uh, and her husband, they both grew up in Salt Lake. Uh, <clears throat> and they've been coming to church for almost since it started. Uh, and about a year and a half ago, Emily uh, came to know Christ and her actually her nine-year-old son did as well. Uh, and, and just hear her say things like, you know, growing up in the LDS church, my whole life, and this is just, this is gonna be religion. This isn't just the LDS church, but my whole life, 
there was this fence and I was never allowed to go outside the fence and it was just always restricting and I hated it. She said, then I came to know Christ and I'm like, I don't ever want to go out of that, outside that fence. Like this is what God has designed my life to be and, to, and, to, and these are the parameters and like, I don't want to go outside that. And then to see just her husband just a few months ago come to faith a year after she did and hear him and he's in our small group and memorizing weekly scripture and leading his family. It's just super exciting. There's a family just back Baptized. They were both Mormon missionaries. And maybe you've had that here where they've knocked on your door. Uh, they met in Mexico on their Mormon mission. They came back and actually uh, they both recently came to faith and just hear what God is doing in their lives. And for us, we want to celebrate, hey, here's people who, who used to be Mormon missionaries and now they've come to Christ. And um, they shared, you know, honestly, we would love to be known by, hey, these people love Jesus, not who they used to be, but who they are. They're a new creation in Christ. And can you, when you introduce us, we're, hey, we're the, these people who, who know Jesus and have trusted in him uh, and just hear that. And one more story. Right before I came here, I met with a guy named Brent. He's in his 50s and um, he's been coming to church for about a month. And he said to me, he said, uh, hey, I have a question. Recently, someone told me you need to get saved. He said, what does that mean? And uh, so I shared the gospel with him. And he said to me, I have never heard that in my entire life. And I think I want that. So he, has, he hasn't trusted in Christ yet, but he, he feels very close, right? And actually, since I've been here, he's reached out and said, hey, can we talk again? I got more questions. Uh, but, but here's someone who's, who's grown up in Salt Lake his whole life. I share a simple gospel message. And he said, I've never heard that in my entire life. That sounds awesome. I want that right? Uh, and so we want to thank you so much for your financial support. We want to thank you so much for your prayer support. I know that we got to be a part of your 24-hour uh, prayer vigil, and what a blessing it is to know that we have people all over uh, the United States lifting us up in prayer. It's a total blessing, um, and so we are just so encouraged by that. But I don't want to just talk about Awakened City Church this morning. Um, I want to talk about what God wants to do here. I want to talk about what God wants to do at Cicero Christian Church uh, and the call on each of our lives to make disciples. Um, before we do that and we jump into our text, actually, let me pray and then we'll continue. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we pray that as we look into your word this morning, God, that you would speak to us, that your spirit would move, that it would not be my words, but your words this morning, God. And God, we don't want the words to come in one ear and out the other, but God, we want to be forever changed by your word. We want to be forever filled with your spirit going and the power that your spirit gives us, speaking and proclaiming the hope that is found in Christ with boldness for your glory and for our good. We ask that. So God, in this time, would you remove distractions and help us to hear from you and not just hear, but to apply it. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so a few years back, I was at a conference uh, and a man named David Platt was preaching. You may or may not have heard of David Platt. You may be familiar with uh, Radical, uh, the book, or maybe his, uh, he does like a simulcast called The Secret Church. But, but anyways, he was talking about how he was meeting with a man in his church in uh, Alabama. He was at this time in Alabama. And uh, the man was like, you know, I think that God's calling me to do something with my life, but I don't know what to do. I own this company. Um, and he was in the horse 
betting business, betting like you lay down on not betting like money, right? Uh, He was in the horse betting business uh, and he raised a tree that when it was chopped up in small pieces of wood, soaked up horse's urine better than any other tree does, right? And so it's this unique tree in Alabama that's only in Alabama, apparently. Uh, And because of this business, he's able to go into countries because of nobility and some other things. And they have these horses and he's able to get into places that no one as a Christian can get into. And as he was talking with David Platt, he realized, you know what? I don't have to leave my job to share the gospel. I don't have to leave my job uh, or do something different to be a missionary. God's given me a job in a unique forest full of trees that soak up horses urine better than any other tree in the world. And it allows for me to go and to meet with people and to share the gospel that no one else has access to. And he realized, I don't have to leave. I can just keep doing what God has already given me, the job God has already given me, and I can use it to leverage that position so that I might share uh, the gospel. And God in his sovereignty has given this man this business and a way in to a place that no one else has given access to. And God has given each of us family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, teammates, whatever. And he's given us a way into their lives that no one else has. And so he's given us this responsibility, this ability to speak into lives that no one else has. And God desires for us. We don't have to go on a mission trip. We don't have to move from Cicero to Salt Lake City to share the gospel. God wants us to be faithful here and now, right? And I could go on and on and tell stories of how God is using men and women and the giftings and the talents uh, and the jobs that he's given them that they might leverage it to share uh, the gospel news. Which leads me to what I want to talk about this morning, which that is how we as followers of Christ, that it's it's not a, a calling, it's not a quote calling that we wait for, but we've already been called. We've already been called. The the most familiar passage probably for all of us in here when it comes to a calling is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. And this command is to all followers of Jesus, to all followers, not just the apostles of that day or the the pastors or the leaders of the church today, right? Mark also records this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go proclaim the gospel. Gospel means good news. Go proclaim and share this good news with all people. As believers, we don't need to wait for a, quote, calling. We've already been called. One pastor put it this way. We shouldn't be listening uh, for voices when we already have verses. What he means by that is we don't have to wait for, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Should I share with my neighbor? Should I share with my coworker? Just tell me what to do, God. We don't have to wait. He's already given verses. You should do it, right? Be intentional in those relationships and share that good news with them. So we don't have to wait for voices. We've already have verses that give us clear instructions. 
And in all my years of ministry, probably the number one question that I've been asked over the years uh, that people wrestle with is, you know, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't, I don't know what he wants. Uh, and I just, wanna, I just wanna know what God is calling me to do. And I've been there. We've probably all been there before. We're like, God, I just don't know. What is your call on my life in this time? But I think there's a myth and that, that spread through the church corporately. Uh, and that is that, that, that there's this special calling to ministry that this is some, some kind of secondary experience that's only for the spiritually elite uh, or only for a few chosen people. But as we look at the Bible, that's not what we see. Instead, what we see is God is choosing to use weak and broken and sinful people. Moses stuttered and doubted God. Jonah ran, he rebelled against God's a call on him to go and tell the Ninevites. Gideon tested God. David was a shepherd boy and an adulterer and a murderer, right? And many of the apostles, we're told, were uneducated common men. In Acts chapter four, we see that. Uneducated common men. And look what Paul writes to those in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses 26 through 30. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God chooses to call those who fit this description. And this is who he chooses to use. And Jesus entrusted this ministry to these people, and this is you. This is me. This is for the church, for every disciple. And according to this passage that we just read, by the world's standards, he chose the wrong people, right? If we're putting together the A-team, these aren't the people we're choosing. And if I'm putting together the A-team, I'm not picking myself, right? I'm not even going to be on that list because I'm the, I shouldn't be a part of the A-team. But these are the people that God chooses to use. If, if we're picking, we're probably picking the rich. Okay, we're going to need some money if we're going to do this. We need some influential people. We need the incredibly uh, gifted and intelligent and talented people. Those are the people we're bringing in. And I don't want to insult you because we're all in the same boat here, but that's probably not us, right? We could probably think of people smarter, more gifted, better, richer, more influential, but God chooses to use us to spread the gospel, right? Chooses to use us. And so if you feel ill-equipped, if you feel insignificant and lacking in any great skill or talent, then you're the perfect candidate. You're the perfect candidate. This is who he chooses to use that we might rely on his power and not our talents that we might rely on him and not ourselves. And to every disciple, to every believer, Jesus says, Matthew chapter four, verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
All believers are called to the work of the ministry, not just those in vocational paid ministry. And actually, pastors are to be the equippers in the process. Look at Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 and 12. It says this, Paul writes, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. One pastor said in, in reference to this passage, I often tell our congregation that based on Paul's explanation, when I became a pastor, I left the ministry. My job is now to equip them to do it, right? Uh, and, and he's being a bit tongue in cheek here, uh, but I fear that too often we have come under this impression uh, that it's the job of the pastor's to do the work of the ministry. And it sounds something like this. You know what, you know what our, our pastors need to do? You know what our ministers need to do? You know what our, our leadership needs to do? They need to do this or that. Or, man, you know, we need to get so-and-so to church so they can tell them about Jesus. No, no, that, that's our responsibility, right? God has put you in that factory. God has put you in that school. God has put you in that job, that neighborhood, that family, so that you might be the person to share with them the hope that is found in Christ. He's given you that responsibility and you that opportunity. So God has not intended for it to be left up to the, quote, professionals, but to every single disciple of Christ. Studies show that, that most Christian, most professing Christians have never even shared their faith. They've, they, they've never shared their faith. And many of the studies indicating that somewhere between 90% of evangelicals have never shared their faith with anyone outside of their family. And only 20% of the churches in the U.S. are growing right now. And only 1% are growing by reaching lost people. So that means 95% of the church growth that we're celebrating is just shuffling of sheep, if you will. From one church to the next to the next and I believe it's because we have, we've given up our opportunity and our privilege to share with others the good news. And we've said, you know what? So-and-so needs to tell them about Jesus. So-and-so needs to get to church so they can hear about Jesus instead of us being the disciple makers. We've, we've, we've given that over. And that's our responsibility. That's our call. So how did God intend for the church to grow? How, how did the gospel news get from Jerusalem to Cicero, Indiana? How did it get from Jerusalem to Cicero, Indiana? Because we're evidence, we're gathering together this morning, we're evidence the gospel did. The, the gospel made it to the ends of the earth because we are the ends of the earth when that was proclaimed, right? And it made it here. So how did it make it here and by what means? And I think the clearest picture of how and by what means is found in the book of Acts. And so, if we had time to walk through the entire book of Acts, which we don't, um, what we would find is that when normal, quote, normal Christians embrace this idea of calling, the gospel spreads like wildfire. The gospel travels fastest through the mouth of, quote, regular Christians in the context in which God has placed them and not through getting them to come to some gathering under a full-time vocational Christian. And to be clear, 
I am not belittling in any way the call for us to gather together as a church. We should. But that shouldn't be where we try to point people, or the only place, rather, that we try to point people and go, you know, someone else needs to tell them about Jesus. You have that responsibility. It was for us, the call is, the, the way in which God desires for his church to grow is for us to individually be sharing our faith and making disciples in the context in which God has placed us. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to quickly walk through some passages in the book of Acts. And I want to show how this is happening, how the first century church is growing and expanding. And I believe that's God's call for our lives today as a church for Sister Christian Church, for Awakened City Church, and for every other church. And so the first time the gospel uh, leaves Jerusalem, where it started, it was not through the apostles, but through regular, everyday followers of Christ. We read about it in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 4. That's what we read. And Saul approved of his, as Saul later becomes Paul, and Saul approved of his execution. This is the execution of the first martyr, Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So they all go, the Christians are scattered, but the apostles stayed. Verse four, now those who were scattered, so these are these brand new Christians, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The first time the gospel news of Jesus Christ goes out into the world, not a single apostle was involved in that. Not a, not a single, quote, called person went out. It was a bunch of, quote, uncalled believers filled with the spirit and the power of God. And then a little later in the same chapter, we find Philip, a layman, talking or taking, rather, the, the first international mission trip, if you will, and God sends him from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is still in Israel, but he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the queen. And it says this in Acts chapter eight, verse 35, that he opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Then there's the church in Antioch, which was started as a result of the scattering in Acts chapter eight that we just read about. And we read in Acts chapter 11, Verses 19 through 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So you've got to believe that those who are scattered in Phoenicia and Cyprus speaking uh, the word also saw people believe. You gotta believe that. But apparently these men are so insignificant to the story that Luke is not even inspired to include their names. Because after all, these are just a couple uh, of guys doing what disciples of, what followers of Jesus do, right? They're just doing what every other Christian ought to be doing, sharing the gospel. And they share the goodness of God and the hope that is found in Christ. And then if we keep going in Acts chapter 18, we see Apollos, another layman, is the first to carry the gospel to the Ephesians. And then in the final chapter of Acts, we find Paul. He's being transported because of his uh, imprisonment to Rome. 
uh, where he recounts his journey. And this is what he says in chapter 28, verses 13 through 15. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came uh, to Puteoli. And there we found brothers and were brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came. And so here are two more places. Paul's just traveling through. And when he travels through, there's more believers. How did they get there? Because God's people were scattered. They just take on whatever job that they had. They go there and they're sharing with the people that they're around the good news about Jesus and people are coming to know faith. Every day, uncalled people are just being faithful where God has placed them. And it wasn't because the apostles carried the message there. It's because disciples make disciples. It's just what they do. And so we've got to believe that when the disciples were scattered in Acts, that they didn't all become full-time vocational missionaries to the place they ended up. So what did they do? They just kept their jobs, settled down, found work in a new location and continued their new lives in this place. But that's not it. They leveraged their jobs, their neighborhoods, their new friendships for the furtherance of the gospel. In Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, we read Luke's account of Jesus sending out his disciples, and we read, and Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and then verse 48, and you are witnesses. You're witnesses. Witnesses tell of What happened, right? And so if you're dead and gone, the only ones to testify about what happened are those who witnessed it, right? Jesus says, verse 48, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So he says, stay until the power of the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt you And so the Holy Spirit comes and acts and then they go out. And we have this same spirit. We have this same power. God has sent us out as witnesses to this resurrection and the grace and the mercy of our God. He has sent us out into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our jobs, to our school, to our leisure activities, to our sports uh, teams, to our children or grandchildren's games and competitions and on mission trips, but not just there. There's no place that God puts you that you are not sent out as witnesses to his goodness. The key is asking then for the opportunities through prayer and looking for God to answer that prayer And then trusting that God will answer it because that's a prayer that pleases him. Hey, God, God, I want to share with someone today the hope that I have in you. Would you give me that opportunity? I would like to share with my neighbor opportunity. Would you give that to me? And God, you will find, is so faithful to answer that prayer. But if you're anything like me, then you also need to not just pray for the opportunity, you need to pray for boldness because the opportunity comes and you're like, 
oh, really, right now? Like, this isn't a good time, Jesus. You should know that, right? Like, I'm busy, or uh, I don't know what to say. And so God, give me an opportunity, and then when you give me the opportunity, give me boldness, because I know I'm gonna want chicken out and not do it. So we pray for boldness, pray for the opportunity, and we trust him for those opportunities, and we're, and we're faithful, we choose to be faithful in those moments. And so the question cannot be, is God calling me to the Great Commission? The question only is, where and how is he calling you? For students in school, leverage your time in the classroom, college, high school, middle school, wherever. Leverage your time in the class to, to, to learn. Leverage that time on your sports teams in those extracurricular activities that you're involved in, leverage that time to proclaim of his goodness and his faithfulness. As those in the workforce, you have the opportunity to leverage your careers and the people you meet, the skills that God has given you, not primarily to make money, but to share of his glorious goodness. For stay-at-home moms, my, my wife is... Uh, forgot to show you a picture of my family at the beginning. Oh, well, I have five children. Didn't tell you that. Um, there they are right there. Uh, to your right is Judah. Jo so Judah's 10, Joash is nine, Jubilee's five, Jedi's three, Jedediah and Josiah is nine as well. So five children. But anyways, my wife is a missionary to the almost completely unreached people group called the J Crew. You notice they're all Js uh, or the Deval children. Uh, and it's a, it's a true mission field, right? And it's hard. Uh, that's why I go to work. So I don't have to, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's hard, right? And, uh, and so for stay-at-home moms or for parents, we have a mission field underneath our roof, an opportunity to share of his goodness and his kindness and his love and his hope and for our children to see that Christ is where our hope is. And then when we make mistakes, going before our children saying, you know what? Daddy was wrong. Daddy did this. Daddy spoke this way to mommy and that wasn't okay. And I'm sorry, right? We don't have to act like everything's perfect. They're gonna see right through that, but to go, look, I need Jesus just like you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We have a mission field under our roof. For grandparents, you get a second chance to pour into the lives of your grandkids and to leverage your years to speak of his faithfulness through those years. For coaches, you have a whole mission field at your fingers and parents have given you the privilege of investing in their children's lives. And you get to leverage that opportunity for one-on-one -on -one interaction with these students who look up to you and who respect you and have ears to hear what it is that you have to say. You have the opportunity to model for them that there are greater things in life than winning and losing and to teach them to work hard, but that even being the best at their respective sport isn't going to satisfy them, only Christ will. For those who are retired, you have time to leverage your time for the furtherance of the gospel. You have time to pray. You have time to invest in those who are spiritually younger than you and time to give of your talents and your giftings. It's not a calling as a follower of Christ. We've already been called. 
So let me end on a quote by J.D. Greer, a pastor uh, who wrote a book called Gaining by Losing. Fantastic book. Uh, Really what inspired me um, in this specific message and sharing it. He said this. He said, when the church begins to operate with the assumption that everyone is called, our approach to mobilization will shift dramatically. We won't just limit our mission engagement to a bulletin board in the lobby with images of people serving in New Guinea that church members should pray for, as important as that is and as great as that is, but we will see every single member of our church as potential missionaries to be equipped and to be mobilized. Our goal is not to send some or even our best, but to send all into the mission to our city, across the country, to the other side of the world. And I believe that the desire of this, the leadership of this church is to raise up an army of believers who get this, who who buy into this call and this command that all believers are to make disciples. It's not a calling you've been called. And so I want to I want to end by giving us some time to just reflect on what we've heard this morning. Something I do with my church at almost every Sunday is we just take some time at the end and we just reflect on, on what we've heard. Because I know how easy it is for myself to as soon as church service is over to just leave, get distracted, think about what's coming on the rest of the day, begin to talk with one another and you just get busy with life and you don't spend time really thinking about it and processing, God, what is it that you're trying to say to me? How is it, God, that you want me to apply this word this morning? And so I wanna wanna give us just a moment to think, to pray, to reflect. And maybe for you, God is affirming that you are right where you need to be. And he's affirming your decisions and the things, places that you are at in life right now because you've sought him. And, And he's saying, where you're at is exactly where I want you. And he's just reminding you why he's keeping you in the job that you're in right now. He's reminding you why he's kept you in the neighborhood that you're in right now. Maybe he's bringing to your mind people you work with or you live next to that he's saying, hey, I want you to be faithful. I want you to share. You possess a good, you possess good news and a message of hope. Share. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Or maybe right now God is working on you and showing you areas in your life where you can leverage those for the gospel. Maybe God's revealing in some places where where you've been squandering that opportunity. Or maybe God is showing you places where you've just been in outright rebellion. What God's leading you to do. Or or maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ. And you've never fully surrendered to him and you're hoping that you can just live a good enough life and that God will just be happy with that. Or, or maybe you're thinking, you know, this morning's message is this is the exact reason I would never follow Jesus. Because he wants to be in control of my life. He wants to tell me what to do. He wants to make it all about himself. And I don't want anything to do with that. Let me just say, that he is not trying, if that is you this morning, he is not trying to place you in bondage. 
bondage to his commands, but he's trying to free you from the slavery of your sin. And you might think that the way that you're living will bring you greatest joy, but if we're just being really honest right now, if you're, if you're chasing after your own desires, your own passions, and you're not following Christ, if we could just be really honest this morning, it's not working for you and you know it. It's not working for you. You continue to chase after the same things and they're not bringing you the joy and hope that you thought they would bring. So maybe you could just be honest with yourself this morning and just go, okay, I've been trying to be the God of my own life for a long time and it's led down a miserable path. It's never brought me the joy and hope I thought that it would. And so God, if you're real, show yourself to me because I confess I'm not, I'm doing a terrible job of God of my own life, God of my own heart. So I just wanna surrender that to you this morning. And I wanna encourage, if you don't know him, to come to him. He is the only one who will truly satisfy and fulfill you and fulfill that longing that you're trying to fill. So Jesus is inviting us into a far more dangerous, far more exhilarating uh, life. Uh, Jesus is inviting us into the life of a disciple of Christ. And there's nothing greater than that. And there's nothing that will bring us greater joy. So I want to give us a moment to just thank, to pray, to seek the Lord. And I'm going to have a stand and we're going to pray and then we're going to go out into the mission field. You guys can stand or sit. I'm going to give us a moment to reflect and then I'll pray. God, we confess this morning that your ways are right, that your commands are good, and that too often we try to lead our own lives. We try to be the Lord of our lives. And it's never ended in the satisfaction. It's never ended in the hope and the joy that we long to have. And so we confess this morning we ask for forgiveness and we ask that you would help us to walk in obedience to apply these very things to our lives that you've called at each and every one of us to be a disciple and to make disciples so God we pray this week that you would give us opportunities to share with people who don't know you that you would allow for us that you would show us how we can leverage our jobs our neighborhoods, our family, our friends, those relationships, to share with them the good news that we possess and that we would be faithful in that, Lord. So God, as we go out today, remind us that this is the mission field that you have called us to, that we possess a message of great news and hope and joy. May we die to ourselves and our pride and what others think about us. Would you humble us that we might be faithful to your call and our lives. And we thank you for Christ and his work on the cross that we can be forgiven 
and that we can go out with joy and hope because we know where we stand. But God, I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day in which they would trust in you, that they would confess the path they've been on doesn't bring them the joy that they hope to find and that there's nothing that they can do in and of themselves to make themselves right before you. Our only hope is in that Jesus lived the perfect life and he has offered to us forgiveness and his righteousness, his perfect life, and he takes our sinful life and that is our hope. And so God, we wanna go out with that good news for your glory, for our good, and the good of the people in this city. We pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name. You guys are dismissed.